our sixth session on 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-22, we focus on encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. And next time, be patient with them all, leading into verse 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then he instructs those who are to admonish what they are to admonish. And we urge you, you who are over the other brothers, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. And now here's what we focus on. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Father, we want to be, whether we are pastors or parents or just friends of other believers, we want this to happen in our lives. We want to be encouragers of the faint-hearted and helpers of the weak. So teach us now not only what it means, but incline our hearts to be this way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I put the Greek here. It's, it's the only place this word is used in the New Testament. And it's made up of two very familiar words. Psukos, from which we get psychology, refers to soul. And oligu, which, from which we get oligarchy, the rule of the few, so few or small, small soul small-souled, which we translate faint-hearted. Pretty good translation. But I think catching the idea of small-souled behind faint-hearted yields something very significant. So how do you encourage someone whose soul is not large enough to get its arms around big, encouraging things? but is always narrow and small and has its eyes on little things and just two inches in front rather than an eternal perspective because the soul is small. Here's Psalm 119.32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There's a connection between eager, joyful, whole-souled, running in obedience to God and having a heart or a soul that has been enlarged. Enlarged with what? So this is asking, how do you help enlarge a person's soul? Because I suppose the first thought I would have in dealing with a small-souled person who's regularly discouraged and can't get its soul's arms around glorious and great sustaining truth, I would want to get their hearts bigger and their souls bigger. And so how, how about you do that? You do it with great truth. Declare his glory among the nations and in the church and to your neighbor and to your children. His marvelous works among all the peoples and the people in church and your family and your neighbors for 
Great is the Lord, and he is therefore to be greatly praised. And these poor, small-souled people can't get the greatness of God into their hearts. Their capacities to feel the greatness of God is small. And our goal, and I think one of the ways to do it, is week after week, month after month, year after year, pressing the greatness of the Lord into their lives. A great God and a great Savior and a great salvation and great promises. In other words, every time they're around you, their heart's being stretched. They probably grew up in a situation where anything great just got beat out of them or there was just never any challenge for their hearts to be enlarged, to get their spiritual arms around the greatness of God and the greatness of Christ and the greatness of the work of salvation and the greatness of the promises. Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. That's what small soul people need. Week in and week out, somebody to be pouring into their lives things they cannot see for themselves, they can't feel for themselves, and God be pleased. This kind of enlarging soul ministry can over time make people who once had a small soul capable of great perception, great experience of God. I've seen it happen. I can point to people who 30 years ago were so tiny and constricted and small and narrow in their understanding of God. And now he blows all their circuits all the time, and they're full of love to him and full of praise to him because greatness, the greatness of God, got poured into him. This is what Paul prays for in Ephesians, isn't it? And most places. I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul knows that without prayer, this is just not going to happen. Ordinary human beings do not know and don't experience and don't enjoy the immeasurable greatness of the power of God or the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So my interpretation of encourage the small soul is do it with humble, loving, joyful ministrations of the greatness, the largeness, the opposite of small, the, the largeness of soul. And we must admit, because I think the reason Paul ended with be patient and said this is going to happen not once but repeatedly, is that some people are going to stay small-souled all their life. 
I've seen that as well. In my church, I have seen people grow from small-souled to large-souled, and I have seen small-souled people remain small-souled for 30 years. I think they're believers. I really do. There are evidences of grace, sovereign, saving grace in their lives. And for whatever reason of personality or DNA or past experiences or whatever reason, they never seem capable of grasping glorious things by themselves. And they come to church week in and week out. And you know what? They want to hear of the greatness of God. And for a brief moment, they taste it and they thank you for it. And then they need it again next week, and they haven't gotten much bigger. And I think when he says, encourage the faint-hearted, be patient with them all, he means some of them are going to become large-souled when you do that, and others are not. And it's your job in patience to keep on doing it. Help the weak. What kind of weak? I think weak economically. That's relevant in this letter because people are mooching off of others. There might be people who are really weak and they have a very hard time making a living. Physically weak. Intellectually. You can't be shooting over their heads all the time with your sermons. Lacking in skill. Skill weakness. Emotional weakness? Here's the weakness described over in Romans 15.1 or mentioned. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And this is having to do with the weak conscience and not to please ourselves. So I would say that kind of weak, a weak spiritual condition or a weak conscience, but really, when he says be patient, I mean help the weak, I don't think we should put limits on this and say, well, if a person's economically weak or physically weak or intellectually weak or skillfully weak or emotionally weak, that doesn't really count. They don't get my help. No. The whole idea here is Christians are servants, right? We're not bosses. Christians lean toward need. And when we see a need, our hearts are eager to help. Now, help here doesn't necessarily mean a soft, empty-headed empathy that doesn't have any sense that the weakness might need some very tough work like this right here. This weakness might be a weakness that has been cherished in a sinful way. And they need to be brought up out of it. It's real help. The question is, do we love people enough to help them? And help is a wide open word. And we need to study them and we need to study life and study consequences and say, what kind of help really helps the weak? Let me close with one last question. Does this call to admonish, call to encourage, call to help, and we're constantly being depleted 
for the sake of the idle, depleted for the sake of the faint-hearted, depleted for the sake of the weak. Does that mean life for you, the people who are serving like this, becomes an unhappy, drained, depleted life? And you might think so if you go back to Romans 15.1, where it says, bear with the failings of the weak and don't please yourself not to please ourselves, which looks like that's not good news. I, I, le- I live the rest of my life displeased. I'm called to serve other people and be displeased all my life. You know that's not what Paul means. How, how do you know that's not what Paul means? This means right here, in any given situation, there might be a hard choice to make and an easy choice to make. And the easy choice to make is sit on your couch and don't help anybody. And the hard choice to make is get up, go outside, go next door, and intervene in the difficult situation, which will not please you in the moment, right? None of us likes to do that at first. But here's the key. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's argument for why we should help the weak is to remember something Jesus said. And what Jesus said was, when you give your time late at night, when you spend your energy and not please yourself in the short run, you get great blessedness in the long run. When you come back from that late night intervention, having done the best you can to help the weak next door who always seem to be at their wits end, and you put your head down at the, on a pillow at 1 a.m., guess what? It will be a sweet conscience a sweet night's rest. So no, no, no. This is not a call. This admonish, encourage, help, be patient. That's not a call to misery. That's a call to joy.